0: Look at the weather. It's beautiful here. Non stop rain. Oh, man, it is a blazer out there. It's cold and it's shivery. It is cold. Really coming down here? I really enjoy your weather reports. From the All Indiana Podcast Network, we are talking weather in a whole new way from historical events to what's coming up plus weather news science safety fun facts and more i like where this is going this is weather weekly weather weekly with wish tv StormTrack eight meteorologist marcus bailey
1: episode number 4040 40. made it all right uh, good to be with you here middle of november i am storm track 8 meteorologist marcus bailey and it's good to be with you on uh, this will be a good episode here uh coming up we're gonna be talking about some of the significant uh tornado outbreaks that have happened in the month of november not only in indiana but across the midwest and we joined with meteorologist Stephen Dean. it's been a long long time since we've talked to him so uh Uh, good to get his historical perspective i also have some knowledge on uh uh, one of the bigger events in my career when i was in illinois um it also impacted uh, the central illinois community even maybe more so than what happened in uh, central indiana so we'll talk a little bit about that i do want to get you to some quick weather headlines it started to look a little bit and feel like winter here over this past weekend in fact we did pick up our first measurable snow of of the season in indianapolis about a half an inch we got some light accumulation on uh the grassy areas if you were at the colts and uh, jacksonville game you saw some snow on top of the roof of lucas oil stadium in the morning um here's the thing though it is not early in fact we're almost on schedule for um average measurable snowfall uh the average date of first measurable snowfall is november 19th now that happened on the 14th technically so yeah we were a few days early but for the most part you know we were pretty close um the earliest measurable snowfall we talked a little bit about this um back in october it was october 18th of 1989 um, when we had our first measurable snowfall so again didn't get much out of it even on the following day that monday which was the 15th we did have some light snow flying around uh as well uh but um it's been uh, pretty quiet now now that we're open the week we'll talk more about the uh forecast coming up if we see any more snow chances uh on the horizon but uh looking okay as of right now uh let's see uh weather headlines um we've had some interesting ones that i've been keeping an eye on i don't know if you saw this this isn't necess- necessarily um weather related uh, but uh, it looks like they've had to evacuate um some of the astronauts at the international space station they've actually had to kind of put them in like the uh, the capsule or the pod and they had to tell them to get their um space suits on the astronaut's space suit on um because there is space junk um that uh is kind of flying around and it's flying around very quickly it's orbiting the earth and so it can do um some damage it's it's believed that that it was from a broken up or destroyed um satellite and so some of that debris again the concern was that it could have done damage to the actual space station itself so they felt the need to um uh put them in, in, in again a, a more protective environment that's attached to the international space station so i thought that was interesting not necessarily um w- weather related but the thing is it's kind of scary here is um uh the, the the space junk if you will these pieces of debris uh can travel up to seventeen thousand miles per hour so even the tiniest of of chunks of metal or anything can i mean you you think about how fast that's moving uh that can create a big problem you know i mean obviously in space if you're cutting a hole in something and it wouldn't be that difficult to do uh with something traveling at that speed um then you're talking about some massive massive issues so that's why they took some precautions uh there um let's see nationally speaking weather wise there's been some pretty significant flooding um in the pacific northwest um and so now they're worried about landslides up in the northwest as well um it basically has stretched up into canada as well they've got and we talked a little bit about this uh, a few weeks ago, that buzzword, the atmospheric river, well, that's playing a role in the the north and west now. So it's dumping just records amount of rain up in Washington and Oregon, and and now into Canada as well, uh, the Vancouver region. So now they're seeing historic flooding, and because that's a mountainous area, uh, they're likely going to be dealing with some landslides uh, as well. So that's been kind of a big uh, weather headline um, here. Uh, the uh, Leonids. Uh, meteor shower is peaking this week so make sure you check that out um we may have hopefully some um it actually peaks on the 17th which is the day that this podcast drops but you'll have the rest of the week kind of to check it out and um uh, we may have although getting colder we'll have some clearer conditions to look at for later in the week so uh hopefully you'll have some some uh good viewing for that uh usually one of the more um uh, uh um better uh meteor showers to actually watch during the uh year it is an annual event that we see so you get about oh 10 to 15 meteors per hour so uh, make sure to check that out um, there is a waxing Gibeous moon so that means that it's a little bit closer to the full size so it's gonna be a bit brighter so it may wash out a little bit of the light from the meteor shower but again something to check out there all right that's good on the uh, national headlines um here coming up uh, we're going to talk uh, november severe weather specifically tornado outbreaks there's a couple that we will hit on specifically um most recently was the 2012 outbreak on november 17th which that is if you're listening to this on the um the day that this podcast is released uh today is the anniversary of that and so uh, we'll go with some historical perspective i actually have my own personal experience with that day as a meteorologist in central illinois so we'll be talking much more about that when my colleague meteorologist steven deanna joins me here next on weather weekly Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Episode number 40 of Weather Weekly. Good to have you along. This one's going to be an interesting one here. Obviously, we've spent some time over the last a week or so talking about winter weather and we actually kind of had our bouts of wintry precip over the last couple of days but uh, and we mentioned this in the beginning of november looking ahead podcast uh, november can throw a lot at you it can be wintry um, or you can have some significant uh, severe weather and we've had some of our bigger outbreaks actually uh, happening in the month of november so as we usually do when we take a look back at historical stuff i am joined by my colleague steven deanna a meteorologist here at wish tv Uh, and uh we're gonna take a look back at a couple of significant severe weather events that happened um not just in central indiana but really across the midwest but steven uh it's been a while man but uh good to have you back on board how you doing buddy
2: it's been a while i Good to see you. I've been doing great, man. Just trying to enjoy the weather while it's nice, while it lasts, and then we go back to being so rainy and then snow this past weekend. Right. It's been like, yeah, the weather. But I'm enjoying life, man. How about you? It's been a while indeed.
1: Yeah, it's 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 going well. Um, you know, uh, we're going to talk about some some busy times, uh, one of which mm-hmm. uh, is still the, by far, and hopefully will always be, uh, the busiest day of my career. Um, and that is the uh, November 17th 2013 tornado outbreak. Uh one of the more recent significant outbreaks that we've had not only in the state here in Indiana but across the Midwest. Um I'm glad I'm thankful that um thankful that we're not talking about that kind of stuff at least uh at least for now this November. We've had a we've had our ups and downs but I'm hoping that we're going to kind of flip the switch to winter and uh, bypass any uh, nasty severe weather uh here upcoming in the next couple of weeks. But um, let's go ahead and jump into it steven i want i want you to kind of talk about i know you've been doing some research on this um you know uh, and like i said i mentioned it in the uh the the first november podcast about that there's been a couple of significant severe weather outbreaks in the month of november which a lot of people don't always think about november being a severe weather month um but it can kind of be a second severe weather season for us although not as Maybe heavy on the severe weather as we typically see in the spring. We've certainly had our fair share, Um, and when they get going, they can they can get pretty nasty, right?
2: Exactly. Uh, There's been a couple, no doubt, like you said. Of course, the one we're getting ready to talk about today, which is the 2013 outbreak, which was absolutely prolific in multiple ways. And of course, can't wait to hear your side of the story with covering this event, Marcus. It was a long day for you indeed. And then, of course, November twenty second, 1992, which I feel like that outbreak might be forgotten about, actually, for some. I'm not sure. It just depends on how we look at it. But that was a prolific outbreak itself. And when I did research on this outbreak recently and how it came together, I was legitimately shocked at how that all formed. And we'll talk about that in next week's episode and whatnot and how that was actually a part of a much larger widespread outbreak across the country. But, yeah, Mark, it's 2013, November 17th. I can't believe it's already been eight years. Tomorrow's the eight-year anniversary of this. Yeah. When you look back on an event like this, it's kind of like, wow, um, several things you think about. This was the most recent high risk we've had in this state. Mm-hmm. Um, high risks are of course, is very rare. You only get about probably uh, one a year, maybe. You've got to have so, so much coming together for such a prolific event, and this was that kind of day here. And... And it was notice days in advance, Marcus. In advance, Marcus. Um, also, I kind of wanted to actually ask you, uh, for you in, in general, Yeah. how many days was it ahead of time did you like start to notice and look at Sunday, November 17th right. as, oh, no, this might be really bad. How many days in advance did you start noticing
1: that? Well, I mean, my age is catching up with me a little bit, so my memory may <laughs> fade a little bit. There are There are some things that I will never forget. About that day and the days after. Um, I do remember that it was definitely on the radar by the middle of the week. Um you know, just to kind of get into the setup of this, you know, anytime that you're talking some uh, you know, temperatures in the 70s, um, in the middle of November, and dew points in the 60s, that's gonna raise an eyebrow, right? Now I know you need a lot of triggering mechanisms to kind of get things going you know those two things solely aren't going to produce severe weather on their own uh but that was kind of eye-catching and you knew that there was going to be a pretty potent cold front that was going to move alongside those warm temperatures and then the addition of that you saw that a lot of the models were just screaming um the uh the wind shear uh the the um I want to say, like, the, the, the low-level jet was just incredibly fast. Um, somewhere to the tune of, like, I want to say it was, like, in that 80-knot range, maybe even higher, which that's, that's way, way up there. And that's, that's, that's significant in spring. So in the fall, when you're deep into the fall, when you don't need a lot of instability uh, to really fire off, you know, strong, discrete supercells, Um, The threshold is just much lower when you get into the colder season. Um, That was pretty eye-catching. And so you knew that there was going to be at least some sort of severe weather. I don't think we really had a good handle on it until I want to say around Thursday night or Friday when they started kind of putting out moderate risks three days out. That's that's always eye-popping. If the the Storm Prediction Center is going to put something out that early that high, then you know that there's going to be an issue all right there's a lot of things that are coming into agreement that you feel pretty confident that there's going to be something significant that's going to happen so you know we had an idea i'd say by the middle of the week we had a real good idea that something significant now i think the big question is where exactly was the bullseye going to set up i think that's the timing of of it all i think was the big question mark and that was probably even into saturday was the bullseye going to be over indiana was the bullseye going to be over illinois it was really kind of over those two areas how was this all going to time out um and so i i remember distinctly that being the big question mark on you know it wasn't a matter of if they were going to put a a high risk out for that day it's it was more where was the high risk going to be? So that's how I kind of recall the, the setup uh, of that day in terms of forecasting.
2: That's, um, and of course, when you see something like that ahead of time, it's especially in the middle of November. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you probably want to trust your intuition on that. That's, that's not a good sign for right. sure. And that's yeah, the old age philosophical question where's it going to be yet mm-hmm. and, and i'm looking at the details here the outlooks yeah around uh, friday or so thursday is when of course you're talking about the moderate risk issue. issued and then by sunday and midnight pretty much around midnight sunday morning this sbc had highlighted eastern illinois as being in the high risk of severe weather By the 7 a 7 a.m update they expanded it further and of course indiana was kind of in the bullseye but right. again though where is it going to happen? Just because you're in the middle of a certain risk doesn't mean it's going to happen there. You have to be aware. If you're at any sort of risk, this is, a, this is an important lesson here, real quick. If you're at any severe risk, no matter where you're at, you have to pay just as much attention to the folks that are in the higher risk zone because anything can happen anywhere. It just depends. There's a less of a chance, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen.
1: Right. Well, and to your point, and I think this is important, and, and I don't want to dive too deep in this because we'll get, we'll get into this. But to your point, since you brought it up, the high risk basically went. um, I'm looking at a map and I'm trying to also remember firsthand. Um, I don't have a zoomed in map. I'm looking at a national map, but it basically went all the way to Peoria or at least close to it. Right. Yes. The moderate risk basically included all of Illinois, most of Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, and most of central and southern Michigan. Um, that high risk was eastern illinois most of indiana um but where the tornadoes actually formed i think technically were actually in the moderate risk now like you said you know moderate risk that's you're not downplaying anything and i think they probably still had it right if you looked at a tornado map of what happened that day they had the high risk right but the the one of the more destructive tornadoes from that day, which was the East Peoria Washington, Illinois tornado, which we'll talk about. Um, it started in Peak in Illinois, and that was actually west of technically of the high risk. Washington was just on the line, essentially. So it wasn't technically in or out of the high risk area. So again, I just all I'm doing is reinforcing your your position there, saying, look, you know Mm everything obviously we made a big deal about that high risk because high risks are extremely rare and this is also a time i think it's also important to note this was right before they the storm prediction center expanded to five different categories this was still during a three category phase right they had the slight Mm -hmm. moderate high so there's only three categories whereas now we've got the marginal slight enhanced moderate high um so that that was a little bit different as well and may have sparked some of that change a little bit as well. But to your point, yes, if you're in any of those, um, you know, you need to take precautions. So, but yes, that, that it was That's an excellent cool. point. I just wanted to kind of reinforce what you were saying there.
2: Yeah, no, very good on that, Marcus. And uh, to, yeah, to your point, too, about the high risk, yeah, they nailed it. And I think it was, of course, important from the cover that this is one of the biggest high risks I've seen ever. But- yeah. It makes sense because the ingredients for a significant tornado outbreak were so widespread. It, it was scary, honestly, with the setup and how it how it just came together. Real quick point uh, with the setup: uh, a powerful low pressure system across the plains had uh, the plane state that steered warmth and moisture northward for nearly two days. Yeah. So, basically, everything was just kind of stewing and brewing. That's not what you want no. with a situation like this. And, of course, when that front came through to trigger everything, boom. I mean, it popped off in a snap of the fingers. Yes. Now, Marcus, so Sunday morning, um, kind of progressed things a little bit more now, at 8.40 a.m., at 8.40 a.m., I want to repeat that time twice because I won't get to say for you folks, especially listening, Tornado watch number 561 was issued for most of Illinois. And they declared this as a particularly dangerous situation, which means there was a threat for several intense, intense EF3 plus Mm -hmm. long track tornadoes, potential for many reports of large hail over two inches in diameter and damaging winds in excess of 80 miles per hour. Now, imagine waking up, just you know, Sunday, usually Sunday is a quiet, casual Sunday. You're you're probably going to do some housework. Imagine just waking up and you being told, oh, good morning, oh, by the way, we have a particularly interesting situation for you to watch. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, excuse me, what did you just say to me? Um, waking up to something like that, not, not pleasant. Not pleasant, all. of course, right. what ended up happening or what was to come was just a rude awakening because everything got kicked off kind of early, Marcus. This is actually before lunchtime overall. So um, for you, Marcus, um, what was kind of your start to the day like and uh, how did it kind of progress from there? Well,
1: to your point um so you knew that the the atmosphere was ripe right i mean you just as a meteorologist you get that feeling um Mm -hmm. you know in the morning you know this is november 17th where our average lows should be close to freezing so when you're waking up at seven or eight o'clock in the morning um you should be frosty you know, in the morning, and, and then you get highs in the low 50s at that point. Um, from what I recall, I want to say that the morning temperatures were already well into the 60s. Um, Ooh. And it wasn't just that. It was you felt the moisture in the air, which was also a very unique feeling in November. Look, I mean, it's we all know it. We've all we all feel it in the spring and summer. You know, we've been through many humid days, but not in November. And so it just had that eerie feeling um that you're waking up to um and, and then you also you kind of you felt the winds, but it was a warm uh, I, humid's not the right word because it wasn't like a mugginess, right but it, mm-hmm. it 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 had that kind of I don't even want to well, yeah, I mean it was it was it was damp it, you know, I don't want to go tropical. it wasn't that, but you right. felt moisture in the air, right? It was a warmer breeze that was coming in. And you just, it had that smell to the air too. Uh, I think a lot of us, Uh-oh. you know, you know what that smell is. Like it smells like it's going to rain, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you kind of knew you had everything together to make for um, what could be an active day. Now, could I imagine that it was going to be anything like what ended up happening? No. Uh, n- not at all. You know, I mean, how many times do we sit through and we see moderate risks or high risks or anything like that? And I'm not saying that a lot of them bust, but you don't get like just these epic, epic outbreaks kind of things. Not, um, I mean, not where I live, you know. And I think that's where it kind of hit home. You know, I, I you and I have covered extensively some of the outbreaks that have happened in Oklahoma, certainly in Alabama. Um, you know, but to cover that in your own neighborhood that you were that community that you're a part of, um, it was weird. It was a very weird and eerie feeling, uh, waking up that morning, knowing that it could get, it could get pretty violent within just a few hours.
2: Yeah. And that feeling is never, <laughs> I have had that feeling, uh, maybe a couple of times in my life where it's like, oh geez, you just. I, I, I kind of felt that, for example, on March 28th last year when we had the moderate risk in Illinois and we had the enhanced risk, I was, I was near the significant tornado threat. I'm thinking, I feel like Illinois is going to bust, and I feel like we're going more here in Indiana because sometimes it ends up working out like that. Sometimes it unfortunately ends up being like that. But especially when you're waking up and you're with a, a threat like this in your own backyard. And for you, Marcus, of course, with having to be at work and you leaving home, you're thinking to yourself probably, is this the last time I'm going to see my house standing? Because it's kind of one of those situations too. You start, but you don't want to get that in your head because you have a line your plate. Correct. You don't want to focus. You can't focus on outside distraction. And it's tough to have to do that because you're such you're in such a volatile situation. You're talking to threat for strong and violent tornadoes, and they could be on the ground for dozens of miles and fast, very fast movers. my eye. These storms are moving very fast on this day too because of yes. the winds aloft. It's just a real challenge, and I'm sure for you, Marcus, once you were done with this day, I'm sure you were just mentally beyond no, exactly like you never imagined.
1: It's exhausting. Um, you know, I've, I I had already at that point covered my fair share of tornadoes, but nothing to to that magnitude, um, but it's emotionally draining. I don't know if the day in itself, Um, I wouldn't say that that day was longer than the longest day I still think I've ever had. Uh, covering severe weather was the Kokomo outbreak that you and I talked about um, yeah. back in August. That's in terms and I'm I'm talking strictly time. OK, not magnitude, but time, the amount of time we were on the air without any breaks or anything like that. Um, this mm-hmm. one was this one was because of and you mentioned it, the speed of of how quickly these storms were moving. It, it, it really happened in a matter of minutes um before it then basically became a news story um you know and once once the 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 severe weather is out you hand things over to news and they'll have you jump in a little bit and talk about what had happened but there's nothing for us to cover once those storms move out of our viewing area which which happened extremely quickly because no joke these storms were moving 60 to 70 miles. i mean they were traveling as fast as we drive on the interstates i mean within Mm -hmm. a matter within a a matter of three hours um or less um these storms that formed near the peoria area were already up and around chicago um it's it's it is about a three-hour drive from peoria to chicago and within about two and a half hours or so uh those storms were in chicago which is out of our market so it shows you how quickly um while it was coming in hot and heavy how quickly it really wasn't a weather story anymore it was a Um, it was a news story now to your point that's time wise Uh, mentality it is I I, you know I've you and I have both have seen it before Um, but I never experienced it until that day um, looking at radar scans and seeing that debris ball and knowing exactly Mm -hmm. and knowing exactly what it means right so I mean I've seen that Watching James Spann down in Alabama, or I've been watching in Oklahoma, or any other severe weather coverage, be like, "Oh my!" You know, I'll pull up my own radar. I'd be like, "Oh wow, that's a big debris ball." But mm-hmm. now you're covering roads that you travel. You're covering a neighborhood that my wife grew up in. Um, I've got her family that lives in and around the area. I've got friends that live around here. That is. Uh, That was one of the more sinking feelings that I can ever recall, not just career wise, but in life in general, because as a meteorologist, you know, when you're watching others, uh, other severe weather coverage, you're, you, you get that sinking feeling, but you know, you're a meteorologist. And so you kind of have to, you have to kind of stay, you know, you're, you're, you're more interested in the science when it's not directly impacting you and i don't and i don't want to make it sound cold but i know that there's people that are being impacted there but it just seemed it 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 just it brought it much closer to home right because it was happening at my home Mm -hmm. um and so that was a tough one that was a tough one to get over um you know eight years later it it has and you and i have had talks about this when you were interning here and and even your years working with us um you know i i was a big a big as a severe weather geek as anybody and i still am um Mm -hmm. but i don't get excited uh for and i've talked about this on numerous podcasts before um and that day changed me a lot um because of the impact that it had to people that i knew you know people that i was friends with um you know to my wife's hometown um something that she was familiar with so um yeah, it was it was a long day uh, maybe not time wise and it really I mean it wasn't just a long day it was a long week and weeks it was a it was I mean it was a, it was something that we just didn't cover that day but it went on for days and weeks and even months uh, because the cleanup was so extensive
2: yeah and that, that takes a toll on you um, and, I, and- for me, it's like, too, it's like, yeah, when I cross that bridge and having a day like that, yeah, I'll know exactly what you feel like because, yeah, you're talking your personal life being affected. You don't know if, you know, you're, you're, you're just wondering and you're thinking, geez, did they, did they make it? Did, did, my, did my family okay? Do my friends make it? You start really – it starts getting out of control in your head. But, again, when you're in that situation of covering it, it's, it's hard to – stay on task at that point, especially when like for instance, James fan had the EF three basically hit his neighborhood. Right. And even even the best of the best they get affected by it too. You know, we're all human and you can only stay soft for so long. That's what makes it a real challenge. When you're when you're talking a historic event that's impacting your personal life, it, it hits you. It can change you. Like you said, Marcus, it really can change a person. It changes your perspective on things. You um, take time a lot more seriously. Uh, you could t- it can happen to you like that. You kind of cherish things a little, you kind of hold things a little bit more because you're thinking, gosh, you know, a day like this could, it could change things so fast. All uh, it takes is one tornado. And I'll quickly, of course, talk about um, the Indiana stuff here in just a moment before we kind of, I kind of want to kind of have you walk you through your day of severe weather coverage and what was kind of going through your head tracking, especially the Watson tornado. Mm-hmm. Watson, Illinois, I do want to make this, I do want to say this real quick since we're I'm kind of brought up real quick. This has to be probably among the most violent tornadoes I've seen happen in November. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being borderline EF5, there's never been an EF5 in the month of February, and it or should I say, I think it's at either February, November, or January okay. and November. There's only two months in the year that, we're, that I've never seen an EF5. This was certainly highly close, and we'll talk more about that as Marcus kind of yeah. talks about tracking the tornado. But Indiana was significant, too. Now, I personally don't. I remember this day a little bit. Um, my dad was watching. actually Chicago Bears were playing that day. It was Sunday, NFL was probably week 11 or something like that. And my dad was actually the Bears game was on in our viewing area, so mm-hmm. he turned it on. And at one point, they actually had to take shelter because I think probably oh, I think it was the same storm that hit that had the Washington tornado came it was. Chicago. It was. It was. Yeah. Okay. So I was correct on that. Thank, thank you for uh, yeah uh, confirming that for me. Um, we had our fair share of activity, though, here in Indiana. Maybe uh, they, not this, but as the tornadoes in, of course, Washington, we had some strong tornadoes there over ourselves, of course. Um, there were 30 tornadoes in Indiana with dozens of more in other states, of course. This was a widespread outbreak. This wasn't just Illinois, Indiana. You had tornadoes in Kentucky. I'll briefly touch on those. Um, Northwest Ohio. Uh, Central Indiana, the strongest tornado was actually EF3. That came dangerously close to Lafayette. I mean, all you have to do is take a track north like 10, 15 miles. you would be talking a different story probably mm-hmm. with that one. I mean, that did a lot of damage, too, but that, that came extremely close to Lafayette. Um, There was an EF-3, there were eight EF-2s, six EF-1s, and one EF-0 in central Indiana. So we had 16 tornadoes in central Indiana. This number of tornadoes for the entire state, the number being 30, is the largest outbreak for November in recorded history for Indiana. It's the second largest outbreak in state history for any month. The only one that's ahead of that, Marcus, June 2nd, 1990, with 37.
1: Wow. Yeah, wow.
2: very, very impressive. Yeah, I know. Wow, indeed. Now, here's the good news, though, about Indiana. There were no fatalities. Uh-huh. That, uh, unfortunately, cannot be the same set for other areas, though. Of right. course, again, i will touch on that here in just a moment. I want to quickly talk about the strongest tornado in Indiana, uh, just to kind of briefly touch on it. So, it was on the grid. No, that's not the right one. Uh, scrolling up just a little bit. Here we go. So, this tornado basically touched down just south-southeast of Lafayette. Again, like I said, take that truck about 10, 15 miles northwest. You'd probably be talking a whole, a whole lot of a different story. It'd be disastrous. 39-mile mm-hmm. um, 39, 39 39 mile path length uh, caused structural damage to a Vostok Pine factory. I probably said that wrong. And a Subaru plant, both southeast of Latvia, of course, moved out of a typically New County, when the Clinton, Carroll, Cass, moved to just northwest of Young America, and moved through the county at EO2 Stream, caused extensive damage to several homes. But thankfully, again, though, there were no fatalities. There was actually a tornado. Speaking of Kokomo, there was a tornado actually near Kokomo. And my friend, I got a friend named Josh, who I went to school college with in Ball State. Okay. He actually had the tornado come very close to his house. He said you can literally see it in the field nearby. So I thought, wow, that's incredible. And uh, that's not a pleasant sight either of having a tornado that close to your house. Right. Unnerving. But... Yeah, Indiana has a fair share of activity, and we got pretty lucky here in Indianapolis. I, again, I didn't even know we had a high risk of severe weather. I was 15. I didn't know much about different sites like that. It would be a couple more years before I found out all about this weather stuff, because even then, wasn't sure about my career path. But um, So let's go ahead and kind of transition to Illinois markets, yeah. of course. Um we're coming up towards eleven o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. Yes, I want to make that note clear too, because since we're talking about, since you're you're in Illinois Central Time, so the Washington Illinois 20-0-4 is pretty much right at the top of the eleven o'clock hour in mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, what's kind of the situation brewing into that, and what's it end up going looking like from there?
1: So I'm going to throw a lot of names out here of towns that basically are bedroom communities of peoria essentially okay so we're based out of peoria illinois our station is um just north of downtown peoria and and if and if you've been through peoria downtown it it reminds me very much of of kind of a smaller version of cincinnati it's right along the illinois river the whole downtown is basically along the river it's a beautiful little downtown Um, but you've got some of these bedroom communities uh pecan is one East Peoria is right across the river um, from Peoria. And then Washington is a little bit farther east. And so those are the three communities you're going to hear me talk about with this specific tornado. So you initially got the uh, first tornado warning as a funnel cloud was forming in Pekin, Illinois, which is just southwest of Peoria. Um, it's a pretty large city um, it, it did some minor structural damage but the peak and tornado never really got above it did it did briefly get to an ef2 um, mm-hmm. in kind of a neighborhood that was right alongside the illinois river and it bounced up and down a little bit so you didn't get um, you didn't get real quick structure out of that initially um, but boy i tell you what this was a supercell that formed and it was all by its lonesome right and so Uh it had nothing to compete with um and i'm not kidding the tower went up with this bad boy and it was like the cap broke immediately and here we go and it did not take long for that bad boy to spin all right and it wasn't an hp supercell by any stretch none of these really were um and so this was the start of what was going to be a very long 90-minute to two-hour stretch along the Illinois River. Okay, So obviously I had some concern. This one was spinning like a top. So it continues to move eastward. It's kind of bouncing up and down a little bit. We had several reports that it had lifted as it was making its way through East Peoria. And I know I'm trying to do this as a, as a visual for you guys here. So if you're looking on a map, um, you have Pekin to just the west of Peoria, southwest of Peoria, and then immediately due east is the town of East Peoria. And then just northeast of there, maybe five miles, is Washington. So you had a touchdown with a tornado. We had that confirmed by weather spotters and numerous public people. In Pekin but we also had visual confirmation that the tornado had lifted in East Peoria now before we get hot and heavy I shouldn't mention and and maybe next year I'll have a really good friend of mine he was my former boss and then he ended up going to the competing station his name's Chuck Collins he's the chief meteorologist at uh, the NBC station um, in in Peoria their station is in East Peoria and Stephen, you may have seen it um the weather channel did a special on that day specifically the washington tornado and how that kind of originated and while it started in pekin it did go over east peoria and never really got going or touched down or do significant damage um but my friend chuck and his co-worker her name's sandy gallant um she was the morning meteorologist there they had to evacuate while they were covering the storm because literally the funnel cloud was right over them and it could have dropped it oh, at any wow. moment. the i mean the the velocity scans were were about, about as high as you can get for something that isn't on the ground right we weren't getting debris returns but it was spinning like crazy so you knew something was going to come out you knew you knew that there was at least a significant wall cloud and it most certainly could have been a funnel cloud and we did find out later that it was indeed a funnel cloud. It didn't drop on them, but it was awfully close. And it kind of just bounced up and down in East Peoria. Where we ran into big problems is um as it as it kind of bounced around the East Peoria region, it started intensifying. <clears throat> and it got up to like an EF2, EF3 status. It's not, I wouldn't call it super heavily populated between east peoria and washington but there are several communities that were there so there was some minor structural damage that ended up happening once we got to um uh it would have been probably my goodness i can't i i'm trying to remember the time now um it's been eight years now and time flew by but it it did not feel like it was that long because like i said this storm was moving at about 60 miles per hour, right? So, I mean, it, it was on you, and it was on you fast. Um, we started seeing the scans even intensify just before Washington. And it was going to take dead aim on, on the city of Washington, okay? And I'm looking this up real quick. Um, the Washington, Illinois population, it's not a huge town, but it's not small either. It's, um, it's just shy of 17,000 people that live there. Um, you know, again, kind of a small bedroom, but nice community that a lot of people commute into Peoria for. Um, they got a real beautiful downtown square. And then basically on the Northern end, they had a lot of new construction. All right, I'd say houses maybe five years old maybe 10 in spots and so this was traveling north and east and it hit ef4 status just before um washington so now we didn't know that at the time right we just know that there was a there was a severely um strong couplet on the velocity scan that we saw um So we weren't 100% sure that it was up or down still because we've been hearing conflicting reports in East Peoria. It's down. It's up. It's down. It's up. and, And now we know that it bounced a lot in East Peoria. It did not just stay on the ground, even though it was intensifying, it was bouncing. So we weren't really sure if this if this was on the ground or not. But obviously, it's going through a populated area. So we are. We're stressing please 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 get in your safe spot um it was at that point then it starts getting on the west end of town so people that are familiar with washington there's a, a walmart on that west end of town um and you start getting into some businesses out there uh, i think there's like a kroger out there as well and some 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 shopping plazas before you start getting into residential areas there were people in that wa- walmart they sounded the alarm It literally just missed the Walmart to the south, crossed over um uh believe that's US twenty-four, crossed over that highway, and that's the main stretch of road that goes through the heart of Washington, and then it rolls right through several neighborhoods um that are on the north end of US twenty-four. It was at that point then that we saw the velocity scan and we had a clear debris signature. Um, there was no question about that. You were starting to get some of those deep blue colors, you know, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the bright green and bright pink together. Now we were starting to see the blue. So we knew that that was, um, we knew that that was destruction that was taking place. Um, and just, and again, kind of reiterating, you also have to know your geography a little bit. You know, when I'm watching James Spann in Alabama, I don't know where some of these subdivisions are. I knew exactly where these subdivisions were. um, my wife had friends that, that she grew up with that lived in some of these subdivisions. My wife was a, um, a color guard coach, and the band director lived in that subdivision, one of the subdivisions that the, the tornado rolled through. So we knew that that was a very populated area. And so at that point, that's the, that's the, the gut punch, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because you can sit there and you can, you can say all day long, please get to your safe plot please get to your safe spot at that point in time. It's too late. It's too late. So there's nothing else that I can do at that point, except for the people that are down the line. The people in Washington were on their own at that point. Right? Because if you're not in your safe spot, you're in trouble. Um, Mm -hmm. so it rolled, uh, through the town. It remained as an EF 4 um, the entire path through Washington. um, In fact, it continued to stay in EF4 well north of U.S. 24. Um, It didn't get really downgraded until it got into the northeastern part of Tazewell County, um, which is very rural. And once it got north of Washington, it kind of opens up a little bit. It's very rural to that point. So you didn't have as much destruction to residential or businesses. So Mm -hmm. it continued down on its path. but. When it was all said and done, you had 125 injuries. You unfortunately had one fatality out of the Washington tornado. Um, It was a a man that went outside and tried to videotape uh, the tornado coming through. And unfortunately, he lost his life um, because he was trying to videotape that. Uh, So I remember that distinctly. Um, I will say this, though. And this one always gets me. And... (laughs) I know that we are a very science-based um, you know, podcast with this being weather. Um, but what was interesting about that day is that there was only one fatality. And I can't really, I can't convey to you what that scene looked like. I mean, it looked out, uh, we see it on news all the time and, and I've, you know I've seen it. But until you witness that kind of destruction firsthand, you don't grasp the magnitude. Um, You know, just a few months prior, I was in a parking lot um, for the Washington Cherry Festival. Uh, All these little small communities have their own little summer festivals and that's Washington's, the Cherry Festival. It's a blast. And they have a lot of good cherry themed desserts and stuff that you can buy and they got rides for the kids and everything else. A few months later, November 17th, Well, technically, it was on the 18th, the day after uh, it happened. I was in that exact same parking lot with members of the national media. um, And my Mm. backdrop was the same, but it was not a subdivision with kids romping around. It was um, splintered trees um, and not just damaged homes, Stephen, completely leveled homes. Um, Yeah. This was it was a view to where i could see for miles where i should not have been able to see a block because the day prior to that you would have seen hundreds of houses in the subdivision behind this i believe was a tractor supply that we were set up at when we were uh surveying the damage for the first time and uh i could see for miles it looked like farmland it did, it did not look like there was homes there anymore. You just saw rubble and you saw people trying to clean it out. Um, you saw the, the the classic splintered trees with the leaves completely ripped off, all the branches ripped off. Um, bark was, was peeled off of the trees. Um, but I want to go back to what I was going to say because this is important. Uh, I'm a very faith-based guy. I'm very open about my faith. And... Um, I didn't really say it then, but as kind of my mind started kind of steering away to what a tragedy it was, um, I started kind of thinking more about it. And over the years, it's only become much stronger, but you mentioned the time of mourning that this happened. This was at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning in Illinois. Um, and it was on a Sunday and I had my suspicions, but when we started interviewing and, you know, this becomes a big news story and over the weeks to come and we're telling survivor stories, um, I'll let you take a guess of, I mean, like I said, there was only one fatality. There were 125 injuries, but most of those were minor, Stephen, in an EF4, yeah. in an EF4 that basically wiped out half of this town that populates just less than 17,000. A lot of people were not home. And take one guess where those people were on a Sunday morning. Church. They were at church. And I take solace in that. Um, You know, take that for what it is. I have my own belief on why, you know, uh, um, of how that is. Um, But, and I'm not going to get into that. You know, I'm I'm no preacher, (laughs) Um, but... (laughs) But outside of that, even if you want to get outside of the faith-based stuff, these people all took shelter in churches, plural, that none of those were in the damaged path. Um, One of the main churches was just north of some of the neighborhoods that got damaged, um, but it was not impacted. And it was one of the bigger churches in Washington, so a high population of people went to that church. Um, it ended up being kind of ground zero for a lot of the recovery efforts it became a shelter for people it became a kind of a centralized location for volunteers to bring supplies or for people to organize to go and help clean up uh things um in some of those neighborhoods but i always that's something that will always resonate in my mind um i mean obviously i have a lot of thoughts about that day um you know the 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 gut punch that i had about and i know it's such a dark thing to to think about but you and i have had this conversation i don't talk about it publicly much because it's a it's a horrific thought to have when you're on television or doing anything for that matter and you're covering a weather event like that and you're trying to relay to people and you saw the debris signature as this system was going over washington my initial thought was oh my gosh people are dying you know yeah. i hate that my mind goes there but that's i mean when you see something like that and you saw the debris returns I, it's i know it's a dark place to go but you knew that this was a massive tornado from the from the debris signature that we saw this was before we saw any video any video um and so when we started getting video back um it took it took about a half an hour on what should have been a 15 minute drive it, it took about a half an hour for our crews to get somewhere near the damage path because obviously it was fresh the whole town basically smelled of gas because you had so many busted mm. lines um and just kind of your typical you know scene of just after the fact but I know that a lot of the people in our newsroom were shocked. I wasn't Um, because of what I saw on radar. I kind of expected the, the images that we saw. um, I, I feared it was going to be that bad. I was hoping it wasn't, but I feared that what we saw was indeed what ended up getting fed back to us. And that was just utter destruction. Again, This wasn't homes that were um, somewhat damaged or like there was some minor structural damage. These were homes that were wiped off their foundation. Um, You know, I I, I went and helped with um, cleanup the following week, which ironically it was snowing a week later. Mm. Um, And so we're trying to help clean things up and it's 20 degrees and it's lightly snowing outside we ended up, you know, we, we, we volunteered to this church. They sent it to this, this lady's house. And we're just basically trying to clean up some of the debris where she had, I'd say some minor to moderate structural damage at her house. But I think the house was still livable. Meanwhile, we finish up and we decide that we're just going to go rogue and we're going to go across the street and help out. And there was a family there that they had no words and nor, and we had nothing that we could really say to them. And in in any comfort, their house had been completely leveled. All they had was the foundation. Um, Well, they had the basement. That's all they had was the basement. They had nothing else to salvage in their home. Um, So those are the things that I kind of take away um, from that day. It's, it's, it's something that I, I, it will be burned in my memory um you know i i hope to god that it is the most violent severe weather day that i ever have to cover um because that that was it, it takes a toll on you it takes a toll on mm-hmm. you um not just from a human standpoint but um you know i as a whole you saw how many people were impacted but you know my wife's um band director um he was fine but he went to his basement and his house was was completely destroyed um Mm. there were several other stories like that where their apartments or their their houses were completely leveled one last point that i want to bring up though Stephen, and and i and and um i want to kind of end on an interesting note on the on this story is the magnitude of those storms and and one i It shows how strong this particular tornado was. Um, But two, it also goes to show how fast it was moving. Um, Mm -hmm. I I distinctly remember, maybe it was like one to three days later, um, that we were getting emails from many of the Chicago TV stations, um, letting us know that some of their viewers that lived in the southern suburbs of Chicago. So that's like Joliet and Romeoville. That's kind of on the south end of Chicago. Mm -hmm. They wanted to reach out uh, to our stations because they were getting mail. They were getting photos and and, um, um, other artifacts that were from Washington. We know that because there were addresses on some of the uh, letters that they had, whether they were still in the mailbox at the time or they were picked up as debris in somebody's house. But they were finding this um, 140-ish miles away from where the tornado actually did the destruction. So (laughs) it it goes to show you how remarkably— remarkably powerful um that particular tornado was also since i'm thinking about it i'll go on a little bit of a rant you mentioned and i only i only think about it now i've tried to block this from my memory but you brought it up that day the chicago okay. bears were playing at soldier field
2: yes Uh oh yeah, going now.
1: despite the fact that we had a nearly ef5 tornado completely destroy a community in and around the peoria area we had people cussing us out because we were not showing the bears game because obviously we went from severe weather coverage to uh news coverage because it was a huge news story you know there were Mm -hmm. people that were misplaced there were people that have loved ones in that community we're trying to gather as much information as we can and people were cussing us out, calling in, saying, put the Bears on. Ironically, they ended up canceling the Bears game. They didn't even finish the yeah. game because they had to evacuate Soldier Field for the same tornado that created all the problems in Washington. So
2: mm-hmm. ironic. it just,
1: you know, it, it goes to show, you know, you know, sometimes you think in this business, okay, people are going to get it on certain days. Some days they're going to be like, eh, this is nothing. No, no, this was like wrath of God stuff that was happening and yeah. we still had people complaining about it, still had people complaining yes. about it. So gotta love the consistency yeah. of people. Right. But, um, I, I know. Yeah, but I will say this, I will say this, um, that was kind of the first time that I saw on a wholesale, um, a whole scale, I should say, um, the love of humanity and how people came together um, for not only Washington, Washington was obviously, that was the headliner because there was so much destruction in Washington. Right. Um, But for East Peoria, for Pekin, um, there were so many people that came together and eight years later, there's still some scars um my wife still has a tough time going through her hometown because it is different it is different than when she remembers it because they've had to rebuild such a large section of it but they have rebuilt um we interviewed their mayor and he was a great guy and he was the right guy for the job um because he lobbied to the state legislature and and at times he was on a national stage um because it was such a big story um that he became kind of a household name especially in the illinois area his name's greg minear great guy um and i think because of his leadership washington is a much stronger community as a result eight years later um uh, because of it the other feel-good story about it was was the football team was in the playoffs and um while they did not win that following weekend um, because they won that friday night and i believe their their system is a little bit different i think they made it to super sectional so they were basically one win away from getting to state um, mm-hmm. and it'd been I had many many years since they had even been to this final four if you will of their class and they ended up having to play uh springfield catholic i believe but it ended up getting broadcasted statewide because so many people kind of wanted to back that community and so there was a lot of people that were really rooting for washington to win that football game it was a very close game they they did end up ending end up uh winning but you kind of felt the tightness of that community um that day but again just a just an incredible day i guess i should mention that that tornado steven was on the ground for 46 miles 46 miles and for a lot of it it was ef2 or stronger uh but again Mm -hmm. it was an ef4 max winds of 190 miles per hour uh when it went through washington so just incredible incredible uh damage and devastation um there in central illinois
2: yeah and it was a half mile wide as well as point two and um it actually caused three fatalities
1: well Um, the one fatality was of that day in washington Um, uh, okay and i believe that they the other two were they're attributed to it but they were from what i remember working in the news they were not they were indirect so the actual event in itself um was um was was one if i remember correctly two of the other ones that happened with the washington tornado um i believe were in maybe cleanup stages or something like that so they get attributed to that because they were indirectly impacted by that but in terms Uh, of the actual event um i think it was just the one gotcha
2: I got you. Yeah, and that, that, that was such a destructive tornado. Kind um, mean, of actually also came really close to the town of Roanoke, which ironically was set by a violent tornado almost ten years prior to that in July of 4 But yeah, a couple of things I want to kind of quickly mention before I kind of quickly wrap this up for us and talk about the other. Quickly talk about the other significant tornadoes in kind of a quick fashion. Um, back to the church thing. Yeah, Marcus, I'm, I'm, like, I'm right there with you about uh, faith. I'm pretty much right there with you on with that, and. My stance on it. Uh, I'm not going too much in depth about it, but that's pretty much an act of God said everyone's in church that day. Right. Um, not everyone being at home, because of what the tornado of you did. You're, yeah, like you said, you're talking homes that were completely destroyed. I mean, nothing's standing, and that's just incredible with how the, the, the timing was just, it, it seemed to make things, I don't want to say better, but it seemed like it was just it, it basically kept things from being more disastrous. I guess the fatalities. I mean it, it is it's how you pretty much take it,
1: but you're right and the it, was, Well, the yeah. scary thing about it was, um, you know, uh, when you look back and you know you're always going to look back, oh my gosh, if this would have happened three hours earlier or or three hours later when people are trying oh, to watch yeah. the Bears game at home and church is over, the problem always was, the the sheer speed of that storm, sixty five mm-hmm. to seventy mile per hour movement, not winds, movement. That's how fast that storm was moving. So, as soon as the warnings were coming out, it was like you've got to go now. You've got to go now. um mm-hmm. You know, a drive from East Peoria to Washington should only take you ten minutes, but that's driving at forty miles per hour. This was going seventy,
2: right? Minutes, that's correct. Yeah, it, 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 yes. It, it's going to be, it, it's a 70, gosh, that's just so fast. Literally, it's going to be within, in and out of your sight in about a minute, maybe at most. I don't know, maybe not even a minute probably with how fast that thing was moving. Um, but also, too, with the, uh, you didn't get interrupted. Yeah, I, I don't understand how, I'm not going to go into depth of this, I don't want to get in trouble to be honest with you, but I've seen the same thing happen not so long ago. Do you remember the, the outbreak in Southeast Missouri back on yes. October 24? Yes. You had the, the San Francisco 49ers playing the Colts in what was a desa- deteriorating con- weather condition game. You had the... Uh, what look of rain and wind coming in from a powerful system and you have potentially deadly tornadoes hitting your Frederick Town, Farmington, Missouri, St. Mary, Missouri, and people are just complaining of the as long as the day goes with the game being interrupted thinking, you have potentially violent tornadoes at night. Look. It's just ridiculous. It's right. like they can back dating The don't have a tornado and Jamie Citizen. So yes. And this was before the day tornado happened, but it's just crazy. Uh, but that seems like a wild minority. But like you said, Marcus, there is there is huma- decent human there is a good side there is a good side of humanity, like you talked about with how everyone kind of rallied together for Washington and that was absolutely uh, great to hear that they were able to uh, everyone kinda of came together and just be stronger and uh, more friendlier like just like strangers becoming friends and whatnot just really building things together to help this town build back stronger which is always a great sight to see and with the, the, with the high school team too that was cool to hear as well yeah. although they didn't win everyone was kind of rallying together for Washington Illinois great to see this town kind of rebuild or rebuild I should say after such a disastrous tornado but yeah um, we gotta be better than that people with the complaint on the air I mean come on listen if you have a tornado, take the same tornado code through Indianapolis, I guarantee you there will be way more than three fatalities. I hate to say it like that, but listen, it's such a busy city. It would scare the absolute hell out of me. Excuse my language, but it would. Right. Because um, I live on the, I, I'm, that, that's my fear. A tornado like that is hitting this city, and we're not immune. Uh, Marion County does have a troubled history. Uh, we've, had, we've had two tornadoes in the last... 40 years, yeah, it's within the last 40, 45 years, but still, it can happen. It can happen. Mm-hmm. Everyone's focused on if, it's a matter of when. That's the scary thing about it. And, you know, it isn't like trying to dog on people or anything, you know, I want people to be educated. I want people to, you know, learn stuff not be scared about it, but learn about it and understand it and have a sense of it, a better sense of it and always have a plan ready when you're under a risk like this because it can go off the rails just like that. Yes. Um, thankfully for me in my career, I mean, I had to track a strong tornado with Ashley. I was, I it was, Marcus, I was a little scared the debris signature was huge mm-hmm. when in Jay County. That thing was large. I thought, oh gosh, that's big. But the, the bottom line here is when you go through an event like this, like I said earlier, your perspective on everything changes, outlook on life changes, you think about time, how much how time can be cut so short, but at the same time too, it, it brings a good side to it because it builds, it, it kind of makes you stronger at the end of the day. But hopefully, yeah, I hope you got Marcus said, Like you said, you don't have to cover something like this again. And for me, I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm early in my career and of course, I'm learning from you guys and whatnot, kind of. I mean, but then again, though, your mind's not going to still be quite 100 ready because so, you just never know what's going to happen. Right. You don't know if you're going to lose your home. Like, of course, like I talked about before, meteorologist Richard Scott. in Alabama. he lost his home in the super up in 2011. I mean, right. that's just devastating. Um, losing your home in the in that violent tornado that hit Tuscaloosa and went all the way to Birmingham. Or James Fan, you know, having his neighborhood hit, but he's still having his house attacked. But still, you know, that stuff really drains you. It, it hurts you. Uh, James Fan, it, its incredible how a man like James Fan is so resilient. But that's because faith, in my opinion. I, I, I don't—I like said I don't want to go too that either. But for James Fan, it's because of faith. That's why he's such a resilient person, I mean, just like us too. But for Span, covering all these events over the last. Many many years. I mean, they just came upon the anniversary of the Huntsville tornado from 1989. That was one of the early significant tornadoes. That tornado kind of merged basically with that storm. It a cell merged with the top of the squall line, and it quickly produced a violent tornado and it killed 21 people. Right. And everyone was called. Everyone was caught on guard. No one knew it was coming. It was it was crazy. Everyone just was like, "Whoa, what?" And they just heard the the roar of the tornado come. But I don't want to get too deep into everything else. Of course, I've talked about one to kind of wrap things up here quickly because I know we're coming up on an hour. But um, yeah, yeah, just a lot to talk about dive in with this event. It really takes something from it.
1: There was something I wanted to bring up real quick before we wrap things up. Uh, first off, if you want to see the photos that I've been talking about, um, the Lincoln, Illinois Weather Service Office has a great write up on basically the event they've got um ground photos i think um even more impressive than that they've got aerial photos that shows you kind of the destruction of what i was talking about in some of those neighborhoods you can distinctly see the path of the neighborhoods that were destroyed and not only that you can kind of see the swirls once it got north of town and it started getting into more agricultural areas you can see the scars from the swirls of the tornado and just how large that storm was also because i know mainly it's weather nerds that listen to this um podcast that there is a very interesting case study that um one of the meteorologists from the weather service in lincoln did about a year or two after the event um he presented it at one of the weather conferences um in illinois that i went to and his name's ernie goach um and if you look up that name i believe it's spelled g-o-e-t-s-c-h um ernie is his first name but he did kind of a case study on some interesting um anomalies that he saw on radar that are not typical now he didn't come to any concrete conclusion but the one that kind of stood out to me steven that you probably find interesting is there was a couple of intensification processes that happened with the washington tornado it intensified in east peoria and then it intensified again right before it hit washington um, and in both of those instances so just real quick the Lincoln radar site is about 30 miles south of washington where the tornado um the tornado dropped right so Mm -hmm. in those two instances where you saw intensification in east peoria and washington you saw basically coming up from the uh the radar site what appeared to be a gravity wave only on only on um reflectivity but what was interesting about it is that it it preceded the intensification so i don't know if there's any other case studies where you can look at something like that but it was it 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 did seem a bit odd that it happened twice and it happened right before the actual tornado intensified one to like an ef2 ef3 status and then again when it got to washington and it reached an ef4 status you kind of saw this little it looked like a gravity wave that rode up from the north and then hit that hit the hit the cell so he i mean it's several pages long and it gets Very nerdy. I mean, if you get it, if you want to get down and dirty and roll your sleeves up, it's a good read. There's a lot of stuff you can get lost in on it, but it's fascinating. Like I said, there's really no deduction on it saying yes, this is something that's going to be you know um, taken into account in severe weather coverage. But it was fascinating in in what he saw. So if you're kind of interested in that, um, kind of piggybacking off what we were talking about, there's some interesting case studies on on um on that day and and just some of the interesting anomalies that you could see on radar that obviously we would not have detected in the heat of the battle that day because of things just happening so quickly but again i think it's something also um to check out and lastly i should point out the National Weather Service in Illinois, all of those guys there, Chris Miller, who's since retired, Ed Shimon, there's a whole host of uh, James Ott, I could go down the line Ernie Goach, all those guys and gals that worked there, they were fully staffed, saved lives that day um absolutely despite the fact that the storms were moving 65 to 70 miles per hour washington illinois still had a 16 minute lead time from when the tornado warning was issued to when the tornado actually went into the town and considering how fast the storm was moving that's pretty incredible and um well yes a lot of people were not home they may have been at church and we can attribute that to you know whatever you want to attribute that to to life-saving measures um, they all got the alerts um, all of the emergency alert systems went off on people's phones if they had weather radios they were going off and they had at least a 16 minute lead time to get to a safe spot and i certainly think it saved lives that day
2: absolutely that's one of the service officers that day did a tremendous job and it's such a challenge when you got storms that, that fast. I mean, within the blanket of an eye, the they're in the next county over. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I think the fastest storms I tracked, I'm not sure, probably off to 55. That was probably the squall line last year April when that thing roared through. But that, that's just incredibly fast. But great work on the National Weather Service in uh, not only Lincoln, but Chicago and everyone else. Uh, Indianapolis, Northern Indiana, Paducah, Kentucky. I'll talk about Paducah briefly here in a moment. Um, basically, kind of wrap things out. You had other strong tornadoes. One, EF2 near Altamont. Uh, that was on the ground for 11 miles. You had the EF3 in Gifford in Champaign and Vermillion counties. So that was on the ground for 30 miles. You had Villa Grove, uh, EF3, 18-mile path length. You had a tornado, strong tornado in Westville. Illinois passing with 19 miles. There was another violent tornado. Much shorter lived than uh, the Washington tornado, but it was uh, near New Menden to Hoyleton in uh, Washington County. Washington County, not the city. Uh, this caused two fatalities. Unfortunately, it was a 10 mile pathway, but it was on the ground long enough to cause violent damage. And then the final killer tornado of the outbreak, Mark, is this one. Was just uh, this was uh, nasty. We'll just put it that way. We uh, go to the section of this tornado, basically. Moved along the Ohio River through parts of Kentucky and Illinois, so like far southern Illinois, Kentucky, right by, uh, actually moved across the northern fringes of the city of Paducah. So Paducah almost took a hit from this tornado. That would have been disastrous, too. Right. So you're talking multiple big cities that nearly got hit on this day. Mm-hmm. It could have yeah, and then that too. that tornado would hit Washington, if that would have hit
1: Peoria. Oh, my gosh. Different story. <laughs> um, and, and you think about it, it only missed Peoria by less than five miles it really did yeah because it went through east peoria and that's only about a five mile difference so and i mentioned downtown is right on the river so if it's five miles north it's going through the heart of downtown peoria
2: yeah that's just incredible and thank god i mean either way though i don't know what to say about that that's just it that would have been that would have been unprecedented but this last killer corridor was a heavily rain-wrapped wedge that tracked for 42 miles In the late evening to early nighttime hours, it uh, killed three people. It was on the ground for almost an hour. It did quite a bit of damage as well. But yeah, Marcus, this was uh, a crazy event. And also, too, uh, there was a couple of non-pornetic events where you had wind gusts of 100 miles per hour. Right. Uh, One of these were in Crown Point, Swayze, the Indiana, and then what's Chicago. Interesting fact. um, My best friend shouts at him, and he's in Colorado doing great things. Uh, he, When we first met, he told me about a time when everyone thought there was a tornado crowd point when he discovered that it was actually a microburst. And I believe this was it. Because when you get a wind gusts like that, more often than not, it's probably a microburst.
0: Because
2: mm-hmm. a microburst is a, scarily enough, invisible downrush of air that can go up to 100 miles per hour. And it can be maybe uh, a couple miles wide in, in general. Right. So yeah, you had some powerful wind gusts and then of course the snow after that which hampered, uh, interfered with debris and recovery and all the debris cleanup and recovery efforts. So that made things hard like you were talking about. I can't imagine how that was. I'm, I'm sure you were just like when does this end? When does this end? Because you're talking like right after a violent outbreak like this snow falling and you're trying to help people out. But eventually as you said Marcus, everything uh, came into and got rebuilt and great to see everyone recover from this but of course definitely a stain in people's memory of how quickly things can turn disastrous
1: that's correct and more than anything is that you need to have a plan any time of the year um i'm sure you can ask anybody that lives here in indiana certainly in illinois um you know can you expect tornadoes in november they probably would have said not like that but um that changes a lot um in terms of uh severe weather safety. And unfortunately, as a society, we are a little bit more reactive and not proactive when it comes to that kind of stuff because, you know, we don't really worry about stuff until it happens to us. And I'm not Yeah, you know, that's that's a general rule and and I think I'm guilty of that in, in other aspects as well. Um, but that changed a lot of things that day. Um and obviously uh people are highly sensitive um you know i remember i remember for about a year uh they delayed publicly testing the tornado sirens in washington um because of triggers basically people were extremely sensitive to that um you know people people had a lot of stress um for a while um you know my facebook feed was lit up with anytime we had severe weather uh threats um i spent a lot of my time trying to calm people down which i had no problem doing um you know people were obviously scared and they were stressed and um it changes it changes people changed me um and it changed i think it changed that entire community um when something like that happens
2: absolutely and yeah i can never can never forget the um you know, people people can legitimately get like PTSD from this. There's a phobia for tornadoes, too. I don't recall the name of it, but this can really it can really hamper people a little bit in certain ways. And we gotta we gotta be there for one another. Basically, That's right. know, don't want to let people suffer by themselves. That's where coming together, like you were talking about, Marcus, that just makes things so much better at the end. And um, Makes, things, makes everything stronger, makes everything more stable. And that's what I think that's a great thing you can take away from an aftermath like this. Like, that is, being in an aftermath, um, one important thing is to be there for one another, another and, you know, just just always, just don't let them go, you know? Don't, 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 don't like, leave them alone, you know? Be like, if you sense there's something wrong with them, you know, them thinking about stuff like that, you know, just be there for them. You know, just tell them, hey, look, you know, you go do something like that, but listen, you know, we come out stronger at the end of it. We know what to do next time. We know how to be prepared, and you know, we, we learn something from it. You take away a lesson from everything, no matter if you think you do or not. That's that's, right. that's the crazy thing about life. You yep. learn something from anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Some people say hey, you don't learn anything from this. No, that's not true. Yeah, you do learn a lesson from everything, even if it's a really, really bad stuff like this. You do and it's not always you learn stuff that's bad you learn some really important key life lessons
1: that's right all right steven thank you for your time man i appreciate you kind of uh walking us down all of the uh the nuts and bolts and what happened on a very historic day obviously for me in peoria but um I, I i know my story was kind of lengthy because i was there um but obviously it was a significant day here in, in indiana as well so i appreciate you joining us here
2: Hey, you're welcome, Marcus. Thank you for having me on. And uh, no, thank you for um, all of your perspective on this whole event, especially for those who are up and coming in the broadcast world. You know, they get an idea of what it's like to have to go through something like this just to kind of – kind of get them misery prepared for something like that but mm-hmm. yeah no thank you marcus for your talk on this overall and um, it was great to break all break it all down with you and looking forward to next week's episode
1: as well absolutely we'll have him on next week talking about the other tornado outbreak that happened in november as well all right we'll have your full weather forecast for the week of november 15th that's coming up next here on weather weekly
0: If you ever thought about starting a podcast of your own, All Indiana Podcast Network can help you get started. Here's your chance to talk about the things you love, history, hobbies, vacation and travel, investing, true crime, love and romance, furry friends, whatever you like. Share your stories and start a podcast today. All Indiana Podcast Network can help you create, produce, distribute, and promote your podcast. For more information, email contact at allindianapodcast.com. That's contact at allindianapodcast.com.
1: All right, here's a look at your forecast for uh, the week of November 15th. And you got some ups and downs here. We're kind of in the middle of uh, this mild surge, very brief, uh, but you're likely looking at highs in the mid 60s for your Wednesday afternoon. But it's going to come with a lot of wind. It's a powerhouse cold front. It brings some rain by Wednesday night. And then we're going to yank down those temperatures, it looks like, again by Thursday. We're back to the mid 40s on fr- uh, Thursday for highs. And we're lucky if we can get out of the 30s on friday now i do think both of those days should be dry uh weekend will bounce back a bit highs near 50 may have a little bit of a disturbance there's some differentiation on uh model runs here between the European model and the American model on rain chances on Sunday. So we'll go with a chance of showers, rain showers on Sunday. And then we'll get another shot of cooler air by Monday, and that could provide us with some light snow showers. Again, the Euro's kind of heavy on that because we get on the back end of the system. GFS, not quite as much. It does say some precip, but um, yeah, I don't think it, it, it's not as heavy on the rain for Sunday and not as bullish on some light snow for Monday, or at least a wintry mix does look chilly as we head into tuesday as well numbers into the mid and upper 30s for highs and the long-range forecast from the climate prediction center take you in, taking you into uh, thanksgiving holiday good chance for below average temperature so keep that in mind you're doing some traveling around anywhere in the eastern half of the country basically looking pretty chilly uh too early to tell if we're gonna have anything significant in terms of weather impacts for traveling on that wednesday or on the holiday in itself or black friday but we will keep you updated we will have a podcast uh next week here leading up to the holiday as well my thanks to you for spending some time with us hopefully you enjoyed the podcast here Uh, again pretty active month of november always be on guard you never know when things can get hairy as we've seen this week no severe weather obviously but we've had our fluctuations in temperatures and it doesn't take much uh this time of year to get some significant weather to happen and we have seen that uh certainly uh in our lifetime here as of late if you have any ideas for the podcast love to hear it email me anytime marcus.bailey at wishtv.com. you can also hit me on on social media marcus bailey weather on facebook and at marcus bailey on twitter and instagram hope you'll join us for episode number 41 coming your way next week on the shortened holiday work week and of course while you're here we'd love you to check out all our other great podcasts all part of the all indiana podcast network we'll talk to you next week
0: more. Discover more from StormTrackAid Weather and Wish TV. Online at wishtv.com and when you follow Wish TV on Facebook. Plus, be sure to check out more great podcasts from the All Indiana Podcast Network now. Now at allindianapodcastnetwork.com.